Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I have seen, and this is this has been for me too, so you've coached me through more than you probably even know when it comes to like mm-hmm. getting my brain in the right space for what is possible in my life. And, and I want to kind of start here. Everything that you just said, there's a word that I think most people are afraid of. Sell it. Okay. It, it's okay. selling. It, it's, it's that sell thing, right? It's like, come on, Myron. Like, I don't know who wants to go out here and do all of this selling, but let me, let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. What makes selling a good thing and why should we be changing our minds about it? Yeah, so selling is a good thing, but convincing is a bad thing. So here's the people think they don't like selling, but what they really don't like is convincing. They really don't like begging. They really don't like pressuring people. And unfortunately, most people think that that's what sales is, but that's not what sales is. Sales is persuasion. Persuasion is the opposite of convincing. It's the opposite of begging. It's the opposite of high pressure selling. Okay. So I'm going to selling is persuasion and persuasion and convincing are not only not synonyms, they're actually antonyms. They mean the opposite of each other. What do do I mean by that? Well, convincing is when I attempt to get you, you to do something I want you to do for my reasons. That's convincing. Selling is when I help you make a decision you already desire to make for your own reasons. That's selling. It's persuasion. Now, like people are never wrong about what they want. Now, maybe they're wrong about what they should want, but they're never wrong about what they want. And so the, the reason people think they don't like sales is because the only sales experiences most people remember are the bad ones. They remember the time the person tried to high pressure them into buying something they didn't want, didn't need, couldn't afford. So they think that's what selling is. But the best selling, selling sales experiences people have had they didn't, they don't, even to this day, they don't even know they happened. They were, they were seamless sales experiences. They were what I would call the art of selling without yelling or the art of selling without telling or selling without what most people think is selling, right? And what does that look like? Well, people who are really good at sales, they're so good at sales that when you buy, you think the reason you bought is because it was your idea. But I've got right here in my hand, right? I've got my iPhone, right? And my iPhone, my iPhone does not, um, does it's it's uh the big one it's like $1700 iPhone right here's the thing nobody was born wanting an iPhone so why do hundreds of millions of people have one well, hundreds of millions of people have one because Apple seamlessly sold you an iPhone or Android seamlessly sold you an Android or whatever the thing might happen to be like you can get water out of your faucet but people still buy bottled water why do they buy bottled water because bottled water has been sold to us you were not born wanting to buy anything, so everything you've bought's been sold to you. The people who did a good job selling to you did such a good job that you thought you bought it because it was your idea. The people who did a bad job selling to you, they tried to pressure you in to buying something so they could get paid or for some other of their reasons, as opposed to helping you find a solution to a problem you already knew you had so you'd be willing to buy for your own reasons. That's, the, that's why people think they don't like sales. Does that make sense? Man, it, it does. And, and, and so now that we understand that it's, it's, it's a good thing. So, you know, my audience. And that's just one of the reasons it's a good thing. 
who I like to say are successfully discontent and what they need to do mm-hmm. is be able to build them a side business. Now, we had mm-hmm. the opportunity to work together to write the forthcoming book from side hustle to side mm-hmm. business, how to take any product or service and turn it into story, success and sales. But here's my question for you. Why should someone consider starting a side business? Given given what's going on in the market, given all of the pressures, right? Given, hey, if I'm working my job and right now things seem kind of tight, I'm kind of going to work in survival mode, but hey, this is the only job I got. Doesn't really seem like a whole lot going on. Why would I then go, yeah, well, let me go start a side business over here. From your perspective, like, why is that a good thing? Now that we understand sales is a good thing, why would I go do that? especially for high level, high level professionals, high level managers, high level executives, because the only real freedom you will ever have is the freedom you create for yourself. Um, I heard Robert G. Allen say a long time ago, there are two doors in life. One is marked security. The other is marked freedom. If you choose the door marked security, you get neither security nor freedom. But if you, mm. you if you pick the door marked freedom, you get both. And so the only way to have freedom and security is by having something that you own. Uh, it's interesting to me that most people have no leverage in their life. What's leverage mean? Leverage means a, a minimal input creates a multiplied output. A small input creates a magnified output. And so the question then becomes, okay, how can I have some leverage? How can I do something that has minimal input that has maximum output, right? And Archimedes said, if you give me a lever long enough and a prop strong enough, I can single-handedly move the world. Here's the problem. Most people have no leverage. And I promise you, if you don't have any leverage, then you are somebody else's leverage. Mm. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to write fast enough, so I'm just going <laughs> to stay in this moment right now. So, you know, what, what's interesting is, is I, I've had an opportunity to learn a little bit more about your background, um, how you grew up. Uh, but there's there's something interesting that you talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's this there's there's an intersection in your in your story that I find fascinating. It's this intersection between business and the word of God. Mm-hmm. And somehow you found this like this middle space where you're like, I can play in here and not just play in between these two, but I can show how they work together and intersect. And 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 I've seen you literally talk to people who may not necessarily believe in the in the bible who and the, and and there's people all around the world who listen to you help me understand what got you excited like what was the lynch or something that happened in your life where you were like there these two things work together and then on the back end i want you to talk about your your love for king solomon okay so a couple things one um is like I was 16 years old when I came to Christ. I had never read a book before in my life. Not for school, not for fun, not for pleasure. If the book wasn't a karate book, which I would look through to find different karate lessons before I could like afford to go to karate class, or if it wasn't a comic book, I didn't read it, right? And so I had never read a book before. I'm 17 years old, and the the young man that led me to Christ, he said, now you need to start reading the Bible. And honestly, I was horrified. Because I thought, I've got to start reading that big, thick book, little bitty words, no pictures, and two columns. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm about now, so I'm going to do it. And I started reading the Bible, not knowing what to expect, and thinking I was going to find religion. But I didn't find religion in the Bible. You know what I found? I found practical advice for my everyday life. And I thought, well, 
let's find out if this is true. So I took some of those principles and applied them to my life and they worked as well in my life as the Bible said they would. And I found another principle and I applied that and it worked. I thought, oh, the Bible's not a book about religion. The Bible's literally a book about results. Like, and you can know what the results are. You know what the output's gonna be before you do the input. I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's run with this. And so as I became an adult and I had been working jobs my whole life, I discovered that there are only two classifications of jobs in the Bible, slaves and soldiers. Everybody else owned a business. Every major, almost every, almost every major Bible character was an entrepreneur. I thought, wow, that's fascinating. Now you can see by my golf hat and my ball marker, I am an avid golfer. If I can get in three holes of golf today or 18 holes or 27 holes of golf today, I'm gonna make it happen. However, if I want to teach you how to play better golf and I want to use the Bible to do it, there are a couple of things I could teach you from the Bible about how to be a better golfer, but there's not really anything in there about golf. But the Bible talks a lot about business, right? And so, and it talks a lot about finance, personal finance, and it talks a lot about money, and it talks a lot about the economies of scale, and it talks a lot about the economies of nations. And so um, I began... I stopped just listening to what preachers said about what the Bible says about money. And I stopped just listening to what I heard in songs and what I heard in church. And I wanted to find out for myself, okay, what does the Bible say about this subject of money and how can I apply it to my life? And when I did that, the game changed for me. So my recommendation would be like, don't take my word for it. Don't take somebody else's word for it. Go find out for yourself. With regard to my love for King Solomon, I, I think the thing I love about King Solomon is the most is the fact that he's such an accurate representative of a modern-day Christian. And I, you say, well, what does that mean? So if you look at King David, uh, the Scripture says that Christ sits on the throne of David forever. Okay, And the word David means beloved. When Christ was baptized, the heavens opened, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So David is a type of Christ. Well, Solomon, I believe, is a type of the New Testament believer. Um, and I've never heard anybody say this before. And by the way, I'm going to say this. I could be totally wrong about that, but it sure seems like this is what he's a type of. He's a type of the New Testament believer. And it shows us what a New Testament believer's life can be like, depending on what he does in his life, depending on where we look at Solomon in his life. So if you look at Solomon at the beginning of his life, he was 1,000% yielded to God in everything that he did, and his life was blessed beyond measure, and he became the best of the best. You can forget about the rest. In the middle of his life, he became this backslidden person who used to serve God and used to please God, but he married all these heathen women. And he let those heathen women turn his heart against, away from God. So in the middle of his life, he just sought pleasure. He sought to satisfy his flesh. And he learned during that time period in his life that if you live your life for life under heaven, in other words, if you live your life just for this physical, temporal satisfaction, that's all you live for, you've wasted your life. And then he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes at the end of his life after discovering that he spent all that time chasing nothing after he already had everything. And then he yielded his life back to God in his old age. And he writes the book of Ecclesiastes warning people, don't make the mistake I made. You know, as Ogmandino says, there are three groups of people. There are those who learn from their own experience. These are wise. There are those who learn from the experience of others. These are, these are happy. And there are those who neither learn from their own experience or the experience of others. These are fools. And Solomon's saying, learn from my experience. Don't just be wise 
and please don't be a fool, but learn how to be happy and wise. Take my word for it. If you live your life for a life under heaven, you are torturing your soul and wasting your time. And then he comes down to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says, um, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. How can I sum up life under heaven? Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So I love King Solomon for those reasons, but also because the Bible lays out literally line upon line, precept upon precept, step by step, exactly what Solomon's business model was that made him the wisest, wealthiest king on the earth. And so I built a coaching program based on King Solomon's wisdom and the business model that he had. And I teach his business model to my clients. And that's why we have clients that are 160xing their bit monthly revenue in a day in less than a year because we're applying stuff that's been working since the beginning of time. Hmm. So you talked about principles there, mm -hmm. and you said there's principles about money. Mm -hmm. You said there were first principles that you could remember, like even as a kid, and you applied them, and you were like, "This actually works." Right. What's one of the earliest principles that you read that you applied, and you were like, "Huh." That's that actually is works for anybody. There are so many. One is given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. Oh wow. So if I give, then it's gonna be given to me. Who's gonna give it to me? Men are gonna give it to me. So it's it's better to give than to receive. That's what it says. It's better to give than to receive. It doesn't say it's good to receive and bad to give. It just says it's better to give than to receive, right? And so a lot of people mistakenly think that means it's good to give and it's bad to receive. Mm. That's not the case, right? So the question then becomes, how do I give and receive? Okay, so I want to be a good giver. Now, um, that's one principle that I learned early on. I have six brothers. When we were growing up, we did not always get along. But I can honestly say that as a full-grown man, I'm 61 years of age, as a full-grown man, I've only had like, two and a half arguments with my adult brothers in my adult life. Now wrap your mind around, and we're all really close in age. Like <laughs> we're all like, my mom had my oldest brother in 1969, had my youngest brother in 1966, and all the rest of us in between, right? So my mom was basically pregnant for seven years. So we're really close in age and we did not always get along growing up. So I found the verse in scripture that says, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And I thought, what if that's true? So I remember one day my, I said, I'm going to try that. So one of my brothers came in screaming at me and I was like, oh, wow, I'm really sorry to hear that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I get that. Oh, wow, man. I'm, I, it sounds like I really messed up. I'm really sorry. Uh, what can I do to help you fix it? And like, it totally deescalated the situation. And after, after he left, I was like, that was so cool, right? Oh my goodness. That worked so well. And so I just learned how to apply practically principles in the Bible that work. And then when I started as a, when I got started as an entrepreneur, because I discovered, like most people discover, if all you have is a job, for most people, not for everybody, I mean, there are executives out there who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, and some who make millions of dollars a year, this is not going to be true necessarily for those people. But for the average person out there, if all you have is a job, you're going to have more months left at the end of the money than you do money at the end of the month. And so I said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to apply these principles to my business to see if my business can grow. And I can remember when I first got started in business in 1985, I met a guy his name was Bill Travis. He was making $10,000 a month in 1985 when $10,000 a month was a lot of money. And I thought, man, if I can just get to $10,000 a month, it's going to be amazing. And now if I had a day that goes by where I only make $10,000, like, where did I mess up, right? 
And I, I know that sounds so weird when I say that, and I'm not trying to show off or make you think I'm like, I've just discovered principles that work. It's not that I'm so smart and I'm so such a brilliant businessman. I am a br brilliant businessman, but I'm not the only br brilliant businessman in the world. And I'm not the first brilliant, brilliant businessman in the world. And I'm not the most brilliant businessman in the world. I just like, I, but I'm not going to deny that. Yeah, I'm pretty brilliant. Um, but so are you, right? And so it's not a competition and it can be a collaboration. And so those are some of the principles that I discovered early. And now, like when I decided five years ago, let me see, um, 2016, uh, six years ago, when I decided six years ago to build a business model based on the business model of King Solomon, and that business model makes us millions and millions of dollars a year, um, you know, it's kind of like, wow, this is really cool. Um, what else can we do, right? And so now we just coach other people and teach them how to do that. And so you can build like these ginormous businesses without it requiring sucking all the life out of your body. And so that's what we do. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.